Good evening, Praxis. You know, we have a lot to cover this evening, so I'll start by asking you a personal question. Due to the pandemic we're in, do you feel a growing disconnection from the Lighthouse Church family? You know, do any of these words hit home with you? Isolated, apathetic, exhausted, irritated, hopeless, impatient, suffering, or questioning? You know, my assumption is that a majority of us feel varying degrees of disconnection and separation. You know, all of us long to physically be with one another. Because we can't be with one another, this can lead to many dangers for churches. But one large danger for all churches, including Lighthouse, is seeing a slow divide between the church leadership, them, and the church family, us. They produce content, they preach, they make funny videos at the end of service. They're the godly ones or they're the paid ones, depending on your perspective. So they serve. You know, on the other hand, we, the congregants, just receive. We wait, we watch, we try and connect with others. We feel more and more disconnected because our one connection through a screen is something that's getting harder to engage in. You know, this is a very dangerous divide for every church. You know, this potential division existed before the pandemic, but it's especially heightened now. You know, this is why God gave his church leaders to navigate challenging times for his people. You know, I want you to know that our church leadership is working so hard to care, teach, and shepherd each and every member. But we've been asked to accomplish this task without an important piece, seeing you in person. And this has made ministry difficult and at times discouraging. You know, the staff is praying, emailing, pouring themselves into sermons, experimenting with online events, meditating on Truths for Troubled Times videos, and we've been asking the church family to reach out and let us know they're there. But much of the time, there's little to no response. So the leadership doesn't know if they're making a difference or not. And for the church family, as this pandemic wears on and on, the temptation is going to feel more and more disconnected from the leadership and from one another. And this disconnection can lead to feeling lonely, not supported, not a useful part of the body of Christ. And when people feel that, they get discouraged. They internalize their anger. They tune out, eventually leading to slipping out the back door of church hurt. For someone who is an elder and on the pastoral staff, this potential divide is a topic we're aware of. You know, we're discussing it. We're seeing how we can broaden the conversation to include more church members. We're doing our best to love you and for you to love one another. You know, we also know there are many of you who've been encouraging the leaders. You've been viewing the videos and your hearts are being transformed. You're supportive and wanting to serve and love others. And we're so thankful for all of you who are doing that. You know, and it brings me back to 1 Peter 3.8. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. We must remember that through the challenges we face, our unity is in Christ. Each one of us makes up Lighthouse. We are in this together. It's not them and us, but it's we, all of us together. We make up God's church. Now, okay, I've just given the most pessimistic intro for a message ever, but here's the light that breaks through the storm clouds. Christ cares too much about his bride to let her break up and dissolve. Remember that our Savior is the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to look after the one lost sheep. You know, some of us might be feeling like 
we're that lost sheep right now. You know, this pandemic is squeezing all of us in different ways and lots of sinful stuff is popping out in our lives. It's been hard on everyone in our church family. And as I've mentioned, it's been really hard on the pastoral staff and elders who are personally going through different challenges while also having to carry the burdens of the church family. Now, maybe this is why Peter turns his attention to talking about church leadership by highlighting the elders in his letter. The elders are the leaders of a local church. If you've ever been in leadership, you know there's a cost. You know, during Peter's day, we've heard throughout this letter that Christians were being persecuted and suffering for the faith. Humans instinctively know the way to stop a movement is to take out the leaders. You know, because of that, Peter knew that the cost for leaders is that they would be targeted and face unique suffering and hardship. He knew some of those elders would become discouraged by suffering coming from inside the church and outside of it. Peter knew that they were what they were facing because he faced them too as an elder. He was an elder talking to other elders, but he also invited the church to listen in on the conversation. So let's listen in on the conversation by looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. So I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he, you, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, in this message, I have three goals. The first goal is for you to understand the purpose and responsibilities of the elders. The second goal is for you to be challenged in how you live your life by looking at the commands given to the elders. And the final goal is for you to personally know and hear from the elders. You know, the elders may not be able to meet with you all personally, but they care for praxis and want to break down any walls between them and us. So just to let you know up front, goals two and three are going to be blended together. Let's start with goal number one. Peter makes clear what the elder's primary responsibility is. Shepherd the flock of God. How? What's the responsibility? By watching over the flock. Be overseers. You know, Peter turns to the shepherd and sheep imagery because it captures so well the type of relationship an elder is to have with the congregation. There are three words in the New Testament that describe the office of elder, and they're all found in verses 1 and 2 of our passage. In verse 1, we have the word elder, and this comes from the Greek word presbyteros. And as mentioned already, an elder is an official position in a local church, and its roots come from someone who is advanced in age, someone who's wise, and it's a word that also comes from the Jewish synagogue. You know, the second word is found in verse 2. There's the command to shepherd, and this verb comes from the noun poimen. You know, the English word pastor comes from the Latin, meaning one who cares for sheep. So pastoring describes the duties of an elder. 
and with our interns, we distill being a pastor as one who leads the flock, feeds the flock, protects the flock, and cares for the flock. You know, one extremely important truth found in verse 4 is that human elders are only under shepherds to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Meaning the elders lead the church, but their authority only comes from Jesus. They only lead where Jesus wants the church to go. You know, and the third word to describe elders comes from the participle, exercising oversight, in the middle of verse 2. Just like the previous word, the participle comes from the noun overseer or bishop. The Greek word is episkopos, and it was a term used by Gentiles to refer to elders. This word also describes the elders' function. They are to oversee all aspects of the church family. You know, before sharing more about what it means to shepherd the flock of God, I thought it would be good for me to share with you who the elders are if you're unfamiliar with us. At Lighthouse, there are five elders. Two of the elders are paid, Pastor Kim and myself. The other three elders are not paid, but they're just as much elders as the two of us who are paid. You know, eldership is not determined by doing this for a living. The three other elders are Jason Ho, who's an urgent care physician, Ryan Narasaki, who's a financial planner, and Kelly Kara, who is a designer who owns his business. You know, the Bible specifically provides the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. This is the standard all elders need to hold to, to be a shepherd of God's people. All five of us, when we look at that list, understand and know we're not perfect. But God isn't looking for perfection, rather consistency of faith and Christ-like character in all arenas of life. Personally, each one of these men are so gifted, so smart, so thoughtful, so humble, and so much in love with Christ. So that what you hear and see at church is what you see in their homes and what you see during elders' meetings. You know, we've had disagreements, but we've never had any fights or yelling matches. You know, God has truly been gracious to the elders. So I thought it'd be good for you to hear from the elders personally. So let's hear from Pastor Kim about what does it mean to shepherd the flock of God. Pastor Kim, again, thanks so much for taking time to be with us at Praxis this evening. I just wanted to ask you a few questions. You know, you've been in full-time ministry, uh, full-time pastor specifically for nearly 20 years, 18 years at Lighthouse, if you include that one year that you prepared to plant Lighthouse. But, you know, what are a few words that you would use to describe what's been, what it's been like to be an elder at Lighthouse? Um, I, I would definitely use the word challenging, I think. Um, uh, and I think that's just all ministry, not because of a particular Lighthouse, but I think just um, we've always gone through new seasons. Um, obviously, we've, we've experienced some growth over the past five or 10 years. And so I feel like every time we, we kind of catch up, we have to figure out what ministry looks like in the new season. Um, uh, you have things like what's going on right now with racial unrest and the pandemic. Um, you're carrying people's burdens um, and just trying to walk with people who are suffering and struggling. So I think um, challenging definitely comes to mind. Um, but the first word that actually comes to mind uh, kind of the bigger maybe thing would be joy. Um, I, I really love being a pastor at Lighthouse. Um, uh, Hebrews 13 talks about uh, making it a joy for your elders to lead. And I really feel like that people do that. You know, I, um, I, I can never imagine myself being anywhere else. I was just talking to someone else recently and, and I told them that like even, I can't imagine what job would ever draw me away, you know, assuming it's not like 
catcher for the Dodgers, but like there's no other pastoral position I can imagine like going to, you know, they, you know, they said it's 10,000 people, W or pay. It's like, no, I, I really uh, love being a pastor lighthouse. The, the people are great to work with. Um, they, they're committed, they're gracious. Uh, they want to hear the word uh, supportive. So uh, really a joy, I think would be, be the other word. Oh, that's great to hear. As you know, Praxis is going to First Peter, and Peter writes in his letter, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You know, how have you personalized shepherding our church family? Well, I think for me, um, because of my responsibility, kind of overseeing teaching ministries and then preaching often on Sunday mornings, uh, a big part of it is just preaching particularly to our church family. And, and so uh, like one way I would describe it is, uh, so my goal is, when I preach somewhere else, I usually try to use something I've already done at Lighthouse. And mainly that's so that I don't take too much time away from Lighthouse. Lighthouse always kind of gets my, my best in that sense. Um, but to, to preach somewhere else, it still takes me five and sometimes even 10 hours to change that message to that particular venue. And the reason is because when I preach on Sunday mornings, I'm preaching to Lighthouse. And so for me, it's about uh, kind of knowing where people are at, knowing their struggles, knowing the uh, joys, the blessings, the challenges, the idolatries, and kind of speaking into that, that season of life and their circumstances. Um, I think for me, I really want to cross that bridge between just conveying information and offering application um, to how do we get to the heart? You know, how do we, how do we get there? How do we do it? Um, so for instance, if I'm preaching evangelism, I don't want to just say, hey, the Bible says share your faith, go share your faith. I want to answer questions like, well, what if I'm afraid, you know, or, you know, those kind of things. And so I think for me, it's kind of knowing well the church family and and preaching into those unique situations. I think beyond this, um, I'm just thankful for um, kind of on the ministry at the less corporate level. I'm, I'm thankful for the chance to, um, our family gets to make meals for their families or, or to counsel more personally or to pray and things like that. And so just um, in, in a more personal level, I appreciate those opportunities as well. You know, a lot of folks at practice probably don't know that before you became an elder at Lighthouse, you actually oversaw a young adult ministry at Evergreen Baptist Church, mm -hmm. San Gabriel Valley, called Praxis. And out of that group came like Jason and Amy Ho, uh, Jeff and Gwen Silva, Brian and Nicole Kosovashi, Tony and Monica Al, just to name a few. Um, so you know the ministry really well. You know, so what is one truth you hope will grow in the people of Lighthouse's Praxis so that they'll expand their lives for Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I loved doing singles ministry. I used to tell people, um, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I could see myself either in college or singles ministry, those seasons of life, I really enjoy ministering too. Um, but one thing that we, we did do as a, as, a, as a group is we looked at 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about singleness. And we noticed that there was three kind of big concerns for that area. One was lust, one was discontentment, and one was poor stewardship, right? And I really feel like that did describe our group at the time well, that those were struggles we had. And uh, how, to, how to fight and battle through. Um, so, so my encouragement kind of thinking about all those, since they're all kind of highlighted by this maybe inward gaze, is to really grow in love and humility so that you're constant looking outside of yourself, right? There's the, the, the mentality like, okay, I'm going to get ahead of my work, or it's about relationships. I got to find a, a significant other and get married, or it's about finances, whatever it is, there's this tendency uh, to look inward. Um, so again, how that comes out, it could be discontentment, it could be poor stewardship, it could be lust, but all those are kind of that inward gaze. Um, so I think really fighting hard, not just to battle individual sins, but to really grow in that humility and love that's constantly 
looking towards others, um, wanting to serve, wanting to, to be a part of people's lives. Um, I think that's such a grace. And, and the thing that I really appreciate about our practice group, you guys, I guess, since you're watching this, is that so many of you are doing this. You know, some of you are serving so faithfully. Uh, you're involved in people's lives. You're praying. Um, I'd love to hear about the things that you guys are doing as a group. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, but since we're all sinners, uh, that inward gaze is always present. I really want to encourage you to, to, uh, to think through that. You know, just what does it mean uh, to constantly pursue humility and love so that I'm always looking outside of myself? Well, again, thanks so much, Pastor Kim, for giving us a word here at Praxis. And thanks for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, Praxis, I miss you guys. I really do. Um, I miss seeing you guys on a Sunday morning, uh, seeing what's going on, uh, hearing about what's going on in your lives. Um, so uh, thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for persevering. Thank you for making it a joy to, to serve you guys. So the elders are to shepherd the flock of God by overseeing them. What we are to see in verses 2 and 3 are three contrasting statements. Each statement has a negative, how not to oversee the people under one's care, and then a positive, how to oversee the people. You know, verse 2 gives us the first contrasting statement. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not under compulsion simply can be translated like this. You know, think of a preteen or teenager who's been made to clean their room. It's this. <sighs> Do I have to clean my room? There you go. That's what it means. Elders, or any leader for that matter, must lead willingly. This is an important truth for all of us who serve in youth or college, those who teach the children or lead small groups. We must serve with a willingness that we wouldn't want to be in any other place than with those who are serving. Here's Pastor Jason, who'll be sharing more about this phrase. Hey, Pastor Jason, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with Praxis this evening. And I just have a few questions for you. I wanted to first start off, you know, due to COVID-19, you know, what has it been like working as an urgent care doctor, especially this past few weeks? Oh, man, uh, it's, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> it's been kind of this control chaos, I would call it. So when COVID first hit, you know, we had to make so many changes on the fly to figure out how to care for patients and PPE and all that. And then everybody stayed home and our volumes dropped. And um, we ended up having to shut down some of the offices. We ended up having to let go of people. It got so bad. Um, and then as things opened up a little bit, our numbers started to come up. We started seeing kind of normal urgent care stuff. And then about three weeks ago, it just went nuts. And, you know, things really opened up. Everybody started getting sick and getting exposed. And everybody wanted a test. It was almost like, you know, when there's a run on toilet paper, it was kind of like that. It was a run on test. And our numbers went the opposite way where we had double, triple our volume and then we were scrambling for staff and and so that was hectic and then um and then we ran out of tests <laughs> we just couldn't test any longer you know we and so we had to really restrict who we could test anymore and so then our volumes had kind of come down and almost now it's kind of below normal so now we're heading back the other way and we, no one knows what's going to happen the next few weeks you know i'm guessing there may be a surge coming but we don't know what our testing capabilities are going to be so it's been really this up and down, just kind of adjusting on the fly every day, every week. Um, it's been quite the adventure, <laughs> for sure. So to say the least, you've been busy. Yeah, a lot of phone calls and meetings <laughs> every day. Yeah. 
Yeah, so again, that's some of your responsibilities, not only being with the, the patients, but also you have a lot of responsibilities with leadership and administration uh, with your medical group. Um, but, you know, as you know, Praxis is going through First Peter and we're covering the, the passage on elders. And there's a phrase, not under compulsion, but willingly. Mm -hmm. so, so how has that kind of been lived out in your life? Because, you know, you're so busy with not only work, but you're busy at home and you serve so much at Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for you? And also, how might that attitude be a challenge for the young adults mm -hmm. who potentially have a lot of money and time at their disposal? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, yeah, I think it ultimately it comes down to a heart that, wants to serve the Lord, you know, wants to steward time and energy for the Lord. And, you know, I think about it kind of like um, my schooling, you know, when I was in high school and college, it, it was very much compulsion, you know, just trying to get the grades to get to that next level and do whatever it takes. And I think it sh started shifting a little bit in medical school because we were more pass fail. And um, I started really enjoying what I was studying. There was this kind of passion and enjoyment of learning anatomy and physiology, and this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. Um, but even then, there was still kind of this, you know, I got to get this done kind of attitude. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I went back to school to get my master's in biblical counseling. And then it became this joy, you know, and I was always the last minute cramming all nighter kind of student. And for, for my master's in biblical counseling, I was getting papers done like weeks ahead of time. I was reading all of and it's not like I needed a good grade. I need, I didn't need a job or anything after this, you know, but it was, and it was just where the heart was, you know, and I think the same thing, you know, for my work, um, just being in a leadership position and helping direct the urgent cares for me, it's very much a joy. I see it as really an opportunity to be a good witness for the Lord and just bring a sense of compassion and fairness and kind of doing things rightly, um, to the work environment. And, you know, I, for what they pay me, I do way more than, than what they pay me, but it's just, I don't mind. I just love doing it. And I think when I think of um, uh, just serving as a pastor at Lighthouse, I think very much the same. And you guys don't pay me very much at all, uh, zero. Nothing. Um, <laughs> but but um, at, at the same time, I love the work, you know. People ask me, you know, how do you kind of balance the work and business and whatnot? But it, it's a business and a work that I just love doing, you know, because I feel like it has just so, such eternal benefit and uh, it's a chance to really use my gifts to love people and serve the kingdom. So it doesn't feel busy, you know, it doesn't feel like work in any way. It's just my service to God, you know, and service to the people at Lighthouse. So I think for um, young adults, I think the same thing, you know, I think as you're trying to steward your time well and, and your resources and your money, um, you know, think about truly what is meaningful, what is, what do you have a passion for? And hopefully that involves the Lord in, in many ways. And, um, and but I think that also can direct just how you live, your career, your choices you make. Um, I think when that's the foundation and basis of things, then it's not, it's not work, it's not compulsion, but hopefully all that you do is really an act of service and worship and joy to the Lord. Great. And just one last question for you. Uh, you served for many years not only at Evergreen, but also at Lighthouse with Young Adult Ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, you were with Pastor Kim before he was Pastor Kim <laughs> and uh, at, at the previous Praxis Ministry. 
But what, what would be just one encouragement after all these years of, of ministry and young adults, what is one encouragement you, you want to give to the people of Praxis? Uh, so many things. Um, I would say one thing that, that I'm learning myself right now, and I wish I knew more of when I was younger, is just um, seek out good counsel and friendships and wisdom from kind of some older folks, um, some folks who have been through the season of life. Um, I wish I'd done that more uh, when I was you know, a young adult, when I was single. You know, I didn't know too many folks who were 15, 20 years older than me. And if I knew them, I didn't really have a close relationship with them. But um, I feel like that is just so helpful, just hearing their wisdom. And um, I think oftentimes we kind of think we know it all at whatever stage of life we're in. But the older I get, the, the more I realize I really don't know anything, you know, and 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 even now I love talking to those guys who are just like, you know, a, a season ahead of me um and just learning from them and hearing just good godly wisdom and it's stuff that you can't just necessarily learn just reading scripture you know it's just that experience uh, and wisdom is so helpful so that'd be my encouragement just kind of try to make those kind of connections and have those conversations with folks you know at lighthouse or even outside lighthouse who able to just help point you uh kind of in that right way great well again thanks so much Dr. Jason Ho, as well as Pastor Jason Ho for taking time to be with us this evening. Really appreciate it. Yeah, God bless you all. The second contrasting statement is found at the end of verse two. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Unfortunately, church leadership can become a magnet for those with selfish motivations. Some want to gain financially, while others want to gain prestige. And this is not the motivation elders are to have. God wants elders who are eager to sacrifice and expend their lives for others. Let's listen to Pastor Ryan share. Thanks again, Pastor Ryan, for joining uh, us at Praxis. Um, you know, just to have a, a quick question for you to start us off. You're a financial planner and you've been one for many years and have helped like hundreds and hundreds of clients kind of plan and use their money. You know, from mm -hmm. your perspective, how have you seen the love of money kind of lived out among some of your clients? Yeah, so a couple of ways that come to mind, um, you know, when people are really pursuing money, um, one area we see this in their time, and how do they spend their time? So you know, someone who really loves money is often thinking about money all the time. How can you make it? Um, you know, how can you do more with what you have? Maybe they're fantasizing about what their life would look like if they had more money. Um, so there's, there's a time element, and a lot of times the way that that actually plays out is in work, right? So um, you know, we all, I think, are called to work um, some amount, but sometimes people take it to the extreme. They're willing to work uh, overtime and, you know, not just the occasional overtime, but they're constantly um, looking to get more hours or constantly spending more time at the office to try to impress their boss, you know, to get um, promoted. And, you know, again, I don't think it's wrong to, you know, work harder and longer sometimes, but if it becomes that lifestyle that's driven by money, um, then I think it can really be detrimental. Um, so I think time, you know, where it's spent, can be an indication of you know, really loving money. Um, I think another area where I see the love of money lived out is, um, and just really believing your status in society is uh, determined by what you have, right? So if you live in a particular zip code, or your kids go to a certain school, or you drive a certain car, then you know you're important. You're um, you've made it. Um, 
the Bible warns us uh, in First Timothy not to be haughty, meaning don't look down on other people because of what you have in terms of material goods. Um, but you know, we do live in a society where we're impressed by you know a bigger house, a nicer car, uh, fancier watch, you know, whatever it may be that kind of indicates status. And so uh, sometimes love of money is lived out as people try to acquire these things that they think will show the world they've made it or you know, impress their friends and, and elevate their status. And then uh, I think another area is not giving generously. So obviously the more you give away, the less you have, at least from a, a worldly perspective. So if we give away money to church, you know, if we give faithfully, if we support missionaries, if we help the poor, then that's just less money in our pocket. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it, it pains me. I, I see clients who make really good amounts of income, right? Or have, uh, you know, millions of dollars in wealth. And yet, you know, they, they feel good about giving away a couple thousand dollars um, when I, you know, I believe, you know, they can give away more. And they, they're not necessarily Christians, but, you know, it's still, I think they've been given so much, but they hold onto it so tightly uh, because they love money. So they're not willing to give or help others, um, even though they, they, they have much. Mm. Oh. You know, again, we're going through First Peter, and Peter writes to the elders and says to shepherd, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Mm -hmm. you know, how have you and the other elders guarded their hearts and your heart from the love of money or even prestige? Yeah, a um, couple things that come to mind. Uh, first is you know, Psalm 24 tells us that everything is the Lord's. And uh, when we approach life and what we think is ours from that mentality, we recognize that we're not really owners of what we have. We're actually stewards of God's things. And so I think that aspect of, of seeing things as I'm a steward, right? I'm called to be faithful with what God has entrusted to me uh, temporarily while I'm here on earth. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the money in my bank account, the uh, car or house that I own, it's actually God's. And if I approach life with that understanding that I'm faithfully, I'm called to faithfully take care of what God has entrusted to me. And hopefully that guards my heart against loving money, loving the things that I think are mine, because I recognize that I'm just entrusted to it uh, for the time I'm here on earth, but it's really God's. Um, but last question here, <clears throat> you know, sh share what encouragement, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to, to help the people of practice think about and, and use money in a way that, that honors Christ. Sure, sure. Um, you know, one question that Christians often ask is, you know, what is God's will for my life, right? And if it was only there in, in the Bible, I would live it out. Uh, well, the good news is in the money, Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, give us God's will for at least part of um, how we use our money. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So I just wanna focus on one area and that's to do good with the money that God has entrusted you to steward. Um, how can we do good? Uh, earlier in First Timothy, back in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says that one way we can do good is by providing for ourselves, providing for our family members, those in our households. So, so 
helping family members, helping those uh, who are, uh, you live with in, in, uh, in terms of finances. That's one way that we can do good. Uh, but going back to chapter six, you know, Paul says, uh, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. And so I think the current environment uh, we're in, a lot of people have lost jobs. Um, a lot of people have lost income, right? Maybe you didn't lose, they didn't lose their job, but they've taken a pay cut, lost hours. I think uh, one of the studies I found said that about a third of employees have faced some sort of reduction in their compensation. And I've definitely seen that with some of my clients. Um, so that means there's probably a need out there. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, um, being generous, doing good doesn't mean you have to give all your life savings away. But, you know, can you bless a family, especially in the church? Um, I think you know, we're called especially to, to love not only those in our household, but those in God's household. And if you know of a family who's lost a job, uh, they're going through financial struggles, um, you know, is there a way that you can bless them? Uh, maybe it's a, a gift card for a grocery store or, you know, just giving them um, some cash, um, just knowing that it would be an encouragement. It would also meet some very practical needs as they uh, need to cover their bills. And so um, I would say, yeah, how can you, how can you do good with the financial and material blessings that God has entrusted to you? Um, I think that'd be a great thing that we can all put into action and bless others, uh, especially in this time of, of uh, struggle for a lot of people. Well, Pastor, <clears throat> Pastor Ryan, thanks so much for taking time to serve our church and to serve us at Praxis again this evening. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And the final contrasting statement comes from verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You know, there are some who think leading means being a dictator. This is not the type of leadership God wants in his church. God wants his elders who are loving and thoughtful. But elders must guard their hearts because over time, a domineering spirit can arise when all the elder hears are constant criticisms, constantly having your family live in the fishbowl, people in the congregation whispering and questioning every decision. This can potentially lead a good and loving elder to having a hard heart that begins to prod rather than lead. You know, this is why we can't have a divide between them and us. You know, our eyes are constantly focused upwards towards Christ then it naturally leads us closer together. We must mutually love and care for one another. Lastly, here's Pastor Kelly. Pastor Kelly, thanks so much for taking time to be with us at Praxis. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Pastor Kelly is the oldest of four brothers. So it's Pastor Kelly, then Pastor Kim, Jared, and the youngest is Joshua. Uh, so, so looking back, um, Pastor Kel, what advice would you give yourself about being the oldest brother? Yeah, I think, um, I think about that just because now that I have kids too, and, and, you know, I have nieces and nephews and, you know, other little ones from the church, but I think one thing that I think I probably would tell myself is not to underestimate the sphere of influence you have on your younger siblings, right? I think, um, good or bad, they're going to, they're going to model a lot of things after you. And I think that's something to kind of really take seriously. And, um, so I know there's times where I probably led them astray, right? They, they copied me in bad ways. And hopefully there were some things that they picked up on, 
um, that were good. But I think, yeah, just to understand that idea that, you know, I probably at that time, I didn't realize that, that they were watching me. Um, they were watching the way I did things and that they were copying me in, in some form or fashion. Right. And, and so I think for older siblings, that's a kind of a, kind of a unique stewardship that God has, has placed upon them and, and to kind of, to understand it early and to, to, to be wise about kind of how you lead your siblings. And so I think that's probably something that I, I would, I would tell my younger self. You know, again, I tell people, if Pastor Kel had a different attitude, the four brothers would have a very different relationship today, but mm. just God was very gracious. And that's why the brothers really love each other. Mm. So just as your younger brothers kind of looked up to you, you know, as an elder, you still have the responsibility where others look up to you. you know, so how have you tried to live out not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock? You know, what, what, what do you hope the people practice in Lighthouse would follow the elders in? Yeah, I think, um, I think one thing I, um, I've tried to grow in is in the area of humility. And I think one thing is to, I think one thing that's, um, that I've tried to do um, in ministry is to try to be transparent with my own struggle and my own growth, um, not to come from a place of, okay, I have it all together and God's word says this, so do it, you know, kind of thing. But um, more like, you know, let's all try to, <laughs> try to live out God's word, me included. I struggle, I, I struggle in so many different ways. Uh, I, I sin, um, but yet yeah, God is gracious and let's all, um, you know, just try to live out his word. So I, I think one thing that I've been blessed from the other elders is just to see their humility, to see how um, they're honest about their own struggle, um, how they're, they're trying to grow too. So it, it, it's, it's more like not us just kind of top down, just let's do it this way, but more like we're all family and, and we all want to grow. And, and, you know, this is, you know, we're just trying to point people in the right direction. And, and, and so like, even as I kind of even lead people um, in kind of counseling settings or small group settings, I think one thing like I'll, I'll, I'll tell them is, you know, um, this is something that I would share with my own daughters. This is what, what I would teach them. And this is what I would want for them. And I think when they hear that, it doesn't come again from a place of like, Oh, Kelly's a pastor elder. He's got this title and he's telling me to do it this way. But like for those that he loves, including his daughters, including his family, this is what he would tell them. This is his heart's desire for them. And so I think, I think maybe coming from it, from a standpoint of just trying to be, um, trying to go and grow in humility and trying to just come alongside people as opposed to just kind of tell people, you know, this is how it is and thus saith the Lord. And, and I think it's important, you know, we want to know that and hear that, but I don't, I don't want them ever to think that, you know, Oh, I have it together. And that's why I'm, I'm telling you this, but just, Hey, let's grow together. This is, um, you know, just, this is my way of loving you by, by pointing you to Christ. And so hopefully people see that in the way, that I minister, and I know I see it in the way that the other um, pastors and leaders minister at Lighthouse, so it's a blessing to me. 
I love the way that you do walk alongside people and it's like, hey, you're, you're teaching, but also you're just being there with others. And that's why I think so many people love going to you for counseling or just, just kind of listening ear or just to chat. But my last question is this then, just share one encouragement to Praxis that will help their, their friendships and relationships you know, with their family members. Yeah, I think the, the thing that I think about is, um, so like just even going back to like my own marriage and that relationship, um, thinking about my relationship with my daughters, thinking my, about my relationship with my brothers. Um, I think just to be honest with our own sin. I think it, that has done more for any of my relationships than I think any, than anything else. I think sometimes we're just so quick to see the sin in others and kind of um, either point it out or let that color how we relate to them. Um, and, and so I think it's so important to just say, hey, man, I am a sinner. And by God's grace, maybe I don't sin in some ways, but I definitely sin in other ways. And, you know, just to be honest with that, um, just to, um, to always kind of put that before you, before you see someone else's sin. And, and I, I think it's important to, to understand someone else's sin and to, to, you want to encourage them in that. Um, but I think sometimes we, we kind of let it, um, yeah, again, just color the way we, we live with them. We react to them. We, um, and so like, even with my own daughters with, you know, Zoe, um, you know, some, you know, she's my oldest daughter. And sometimes I'll just be like, Oh, you got to do it this way. And I can't believe you did that. And this and that. And then I, I'm humble because I'm like, man, when I was her age, oh, she's such a gem compared to me. I was such, um, just such a knucklehead and, you know, and, and so, you know, could be so unkind to my brothers or just so, unkind to my parents. And, and so I'm always like, I think in that, that relationship, I'm looking at her sin and, and, and really have to see my own sin and, and allow that to just remind me of the grace that God has, has um, extended to me, but also just to, just to show the, the patience with someone else who is kind of that in a stage behind you or um, yeah, just in a different stage and, and just have that patience with them as they grow and, and not to expect perfection, but just um, hope for um, progress. And um, but yeah, again, just I think uh, having our sin before us really I think is helpful. Uh, and again, especially like in my marriage, I think um, I think that's something that that I've encouraged at Lighthouse is just uh, not to point fingers, not to and, and I not that I'm perfect in this, but that's been the encouragement is just to really first to look at our own hearts and say, hey. How am I responding? How, you know, what am I wanting? What am I desiring? What am I not getting that I do want? Um, and just really looking inward first and, and really, and, and as I do that, you know, I just see so much of the muck that's really re messing up the relationship when I, I'm thinking it's someone else, you know? And so, yeah, I think just that, that's been um, really fruitful in my life just to really try to focus on my own sin in, in my relationships. Mm -hmm. Again, Pastor Kel, thanks so much for taking time out and just really for being a godly example to, to many of us. So we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. As I conclude, I started this message with a warning about division, but I wanted to end this message with hope, hope in the gospel that unifies us.
This pandemic doesn't have to divide us, rather God has allowed this to happen. So it means there is growth He wants to cause in us individually and congregationally. You know, He wants to crush our idols so that we'll continue to unify our hearts in Christ. And God has called the elders to help our flock during this time. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, the elders and staff have heard from some folks in our church, and what they write is so encouraging. You know, there's a family at our church where the husband lost his job due to COVID-19, and the wife is not working because she's taking care of their young child. I've asked their permission to share a few sentences from their letter because it shows the beauty of how God has arranged his church with leaders pointing the church members to Christ, then having Christ work in their lives, then leading to loving and caring for others. The letter goes, First, we terribly miss you guys and are so thankful for your labors and ministry to us. One of the graces God provided was the recognition of God's past provision and present promises. We've been through challenges like this before, and God has always provided. When God takes things away, it is a grace to be able to see things more clearly and see where the idols are. And they end the letter. We have also connected with many neighbors and started a Facebook page for our condo community. Our prayer request would be to not waste the season spiritually, to grow in our marriage, to open up gospel doors with our neighbors, and to start work this fall. You know, this is the church in action, pursuing Christ, praying faithfully, participating in community, and proclaiming the gospel. Look upward at Christ, then outward to family, the church family, friends, and neighbors. You know, brothers and sisters of Praxis, I hope you are encouraged this evening to love Christ more because He has given you this church family with leaders who want the best for you. So let's live sacrificially. We are the church. And one day when each of us will stand before Christ, may we have lived our lives well for His glory pre-pandemic, pandemic, and post-pandemic. Let us pray. Father, I just pray that that would be our prayer, that we would want to expend our lives, to use our lives, so that you may be glorified within our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and well beyond. Thank you so much, Father, for being the chief shepherd of our church and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.